faithful, God. We come here anticipating you meeting with us, Lord. This is a living word. You're a living God, and, and you've given us the map, the outline of our life, the course uh, that you've set before us, Lord. And the Bible says that your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, God, and that we're to remain in your word, uh, that you might be able to guide our life by it and direct our life, Lord. And sometimes it's not just our feet that need directing. Uh, it, it is. But it's also our hearts, Lord. We want our hearts to line up, uh, our heart to line up with the direction of our life uh, and the, the direction we're going in that map, God. So I pray today, if there's adjustments you need to make with our feet or our heart, Lord, that we'd be open to it, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So again, Samuel, the beginning of Samuel here, it's a changing of the guards. Samuel here uh, is... is being raised up really as a prophet of the nation. Um, and Eli, this is his last chapter in, in the book of Samuel. Uh, just as, as God showed Samuel, his sons are going to die. He's going to die in chapter 4. Um, and Samuel's going to take the children of Israel from the darkest, one of the darkest times of their history to the brightest, to the brightest time as he moves from Saul to King David and and there is just great victories that they win if you if you would with take a look at me with with uh, oh chapter 3 verse 19 let's take a look at that verse first as we lead into chapter 4 because this really is is the key to success and growth in your life in your ministry as a mom as a dad as a husband and as a wife, something that Samuel did here. This is how he grew. It says, Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And here's the key. He let none of his words fall to the ground. He let none of his words fall to the ground. That's the key to your life. The Bible is the key to your life, right? And Samuel didn't let any words fall to the ground. I, I was at a basketball game the other day, and my nephew was there. And it was an away game, and he had this amazing-looking cookie. And I'm on keto, so I can't eat it. I would have liked to break a piece off. Uh, and he's got this cookie, and all of a sudden, he drops it. This amazing, and that was it. It was like it fell to the ground, and now it's no good, right? It just, and then, he's, then he's looking for a garbage. I'm like, oh, man, what, how many seconds was that now, right? <laughs> no. It, you know, but that's the idea. He didn't let his word fall to the ground. It wasn't like crumbs, right? When you got a steak on your plate or a lobster towel, your steak's not falling on the ground, is it? You know, that lobster towel that's, I don't even know what they cost, but that's not falling. Maybe the shells might fall, a little bit of the fat might fall, but the steak's not falling to the ground. And that's what God's word is so valuable. It's our nutrients. And he didn't let it fall to the ground. He knew God's word. He knew what God was speaking to him. He knew Israel's history. And he never let that fall to the ground. He had an ear bent towards God and his will. He didn't let it fall to the ground. It's key for your life and for mine. And he was faithful with it. Samuel had to say some hard things to Eli, right? God's word comes to Samuel. Hey, you got to tell him his sons are going to die in a day. That I'm judging Eli. 
that I've warned them, I've told them over and over, I've sent a man of God, I've told them myself, I, I'm sending you, Samuel, probably warned over and over and over again. Man, what a hard thing, because he loved Eli. He just loved him. But when it came time to tell him the truth, he did. He didn't let God's word fall to the ground and think, you know, I'll just tell him some of it. He'll figure it out. He'll figure out what's going to happen here down the road. No, he had to tell him all of it, right? And that conversation is preparation for more conversation. He'll ultimately have to tell Saul that God has ripped the kingdom out of your hand, the first king, a man that he had anointed as king, seen him raised up. Then he has to go back and say, sorry, Saul. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. This can't happen anymore. And he has to be faithful to God's word and what God told him to do. And he's literally mourning over Saul after that happened. He loved the guy. He's weeping, and God says, why are you weeping? Seeing seeing that I have rejected him as king. Go to the house of Jesse, and I'll tell you who to anoint. Right? Hard things, being faithful to God's word. We have to do it. We have to do it as husbands, right? It sometimes goes against the grain. We have to do it as dads and moms and wives, right? God, I want to be faithful to your word. I don't feel like doing it. I don't feel like forgiving. I don't feel like this. I don't feel it, but I'm going to be faithful to your word. I'm not going to let it fall to the ground. I'm not going to pick and choose what I'm going to obey and what I'm not going to obey. We can do that, right? We can do that. And it says Israel, all Israel from Dan all the way uh, to Beersheba, they knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. That's as far north and as far south as you can go. Everyone knew there was something about this guy. It was different. And it says the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh. How? By the word of the Lord. That's the primary way God speaks to us. That's what he's given us, his word. It's a foundation. We have it now. We have the Bible, right? It's, it's primary. It's premier. Over and above any book you're going to read or opinion of a pastor or someone who's a spiritual leader, test it with the word of God. That's why God's given us his word, that we might not veer to the left or the right. We have the word of God. And, and so God speaks to him in his word. And, and maybe you haven't heard from the Lord. And I remember I shared this last week. God, God's word and your ears are often attached to your will. When Jesus wrote to the churches in Revelation, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Man, this is God writing. Jesus writing to churches. People with two ears that could hear. But he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Right? Because not everyone that went to church, who goes to church, listens. Not everyone that goes to church wants to obey what the Bible says. It's just part of their week. It's church. I go to church on Sunday. I do this on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Friday night I do this. Sunday comes again, right? Being able to hear God's voice is attached to your will. And if you're willing to do it, 
to be obedient to his word. So then God is speaking to Samuel as a prophet, and that's what Hebrews chapter 1 says, that in different times, in different ways, chapter 1, verse 1, different times, in different ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. This is how he spoke to people. He would raise up a prophet, and Samuel is at first in the line of this line of prophets. You read the book of Acts, chapter 3. It, it names him first. He's the first one. And so Samuel is a prophet, and then it says, the word of Samuel came to all Israel. He was supposed to speak to Israel. God's word, his truth, his direction, where to go. Huge, massive responsibility to speak for God, right? Massive responsibility because there's weight in his words. He's a spokesman, an ambassador. There's a high level of responsibility. For the Old Testament, it was the prophets. The New Testament, it's a pastor. Massive amount of responsibility to stand up here and teach the Bible and represent God because God's not just looking at what I say. That's part of it. People see how I live. That's part of it. People see I can teach one thing on Sunday morning, but am I living the Bible myself? That's where the weight comes in for people. And there's a massive amount of responsibility there. You remember Moses. He was a prophet. He was a leader. He was a deliverer, right? And God said, Moses, as he's leading people out of Egypt into the promised land, God says, you know, one day, smite the rock. Water comes gushing out. Later down the road, he says, Moses, just speak to the rock. I just want you to speak to it. And Moses he gets up there and he yells at the people, you rebellious, and then he hits the rock again. And what does God want to do? Because God wants to refresh his people. He loves his people. But Moses misrepresented God by smiting the rock again. And what happens to Moses? Can't go in. You're not going into the promised land, Moses. What? I've come this far. Sorry. I'm going to let you look at it, but you're not going in. Very serious responsibility to represent the Lord in every way. Huge. Not just his will, but his mind and his heart. God wants to know, or people need to know that. Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'll read it. You can mark this down. The severity. And how serious it is. It says, You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed you for such. It says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like unto me from your midst, from your brethren, and him shall you hear according to all the desired all that you desire to the Lord your God in Horeb and in the days of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And that was Mount Sinai. And they saw the earth, the, the mountain quake and tremble and thunder, 
and they're like, Moses, you speak to us. We, we're afraid to hear from God. That's very frightening. And that's what God did. He says, okay, I'm going to raise up prophets for you so you can hear me. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he'll speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I'll require of him. Like, as I speak something or a prophet in the Old Testament, here's the Bible, I say it, and you think, nah, I don't have to do anything with that. Now, God says it's required of you, right? It's pretty serious. But listen, it says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. It's a little serious on that end too, isn't it? Right? Not just you guys listening, but a prophet or me in the New Testament as a pastor speaking. It's pretty serious stuff that we need to be accurate teaching the Bible, not deviate from it. We won't go there, but Deuteronomy 13 speaks about uh, these guys who come in, the Lord, in God's name as prophets, and they speak something uh, and, and cause you to worship other gods. Right? It's very, very important what people say up here that could cause you to, to stumble or go astray. But the requirement in Deuteronomy 13 was for you guys to have discernment and for you guys to understand that, wow, this guy's a prophet and he's telling me to worship other gods or, or this is okay or that's okay. There was a requirement for you to know the word of God too, for you to know God's heart, Right? called obedience to the Bible. If you guys remember in Kings, uh, there was a, a young prophet that God sends to Jeroboam. And he says, I want you to rebuke this king. But when you leave, don't eat, don't drink, don't even leave that city the same way you came in. Go a different road. Like if you came in this way, go out that way. Don't stay, don't eat, no, don't drink, nothing. And he went there, he rebukes Jeroboam, and he leaves. He's obedient to God's word. He does what he says. He rebukes Jeroboam, and then he leaves the town. Well, it says an old prophet, his sons came in and says, hey, did you, there's this young guy just came in and did probably what you should have been doing or whatever. And the guy's like, hey, saddle my donkey. I got to go catch this guy. So he goes and catches this young man, this young prophet. He's eating his lunch, heading out of town a different way. Hey, God told me to tell you to come to my house. What? God told me to leave. No, listen, I'm a little older. I'm a little more mature than you. Come back to my house. You know, God told me that you can come. All right, let's do it. So he gets on his donkey, heads back to this old prophet's house. And as they're eating and drinking... The word of the Lord came to this old prophet said, you're dead because you did this, because you didn't listen to me. And he gets up on his donkey and he leaves town and a lion meets him there and kills him. And another guy comes and sees him there. There's a donkey, a lion, and this dead prophet in the streets. 
right? It's called partial obedience. It's called partial obedience. That's disobedience, right? He did what he should have done with Jeroboam, but he's willing to listen to this other guy when it went against cross grain against the word of God and what God spoke to him. Very dangerous. And it's no coincidence it's a lion that kills him because Peter says that the devil, Satan, as a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for people that want to just obey some of the word of God and not all of it, who are willing to take this and not that. You can be so selective. And these guys were willing to listen to Samuel, and God was willing to use him. Listen, in the New Testament, a couple verses I wanted to share. Jesus said, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing, right? That they'll come to you in sheep's clothing, but they're ravenous wolves. They just want to devour you. And many of the, many of the, uh, the warnings in the New Testament were men who wanted to, they were hirelings. They wanted to fleece the flock of God. They wanted to take your money and what you had, and they didn't care about you. Jesus, the disciples asked him, hey, what's going to be the sign of your coming and the end of the age in Matthew 24? They're looking for these major signs in the heavens or what's going to happen, you know, and, and Jesus does give them a lot of signs, but the first thing he says is take heed, no, more, no one deceives you. That's the first sign. Deception is going to be in an all-time high, and it's going to be in an all-time high in the church. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful and test what I'm saying or any pastor you listen to on the radio or TV. Is it lining up with the Word of God? Is it true? You don't have to turn there, but you might mark it in your Bible. Acts, or, uh, Acts chapter 20. This is Paul's farewell to the, the church in Ephesus, a church that he planted and a church that he was there for, for quite a long time. He loved these guys. And these, these are the elders he's meeting with. And he says this in verse 27 of Acts chapter 20, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I wasn't selective. I didn't just teach on tithing. Right? Or I didn't just teach on, I mean, you can tell we watch TV and some people, that's all they talk about. Your tithe, your offering, your money, giving, right? He says, I, didn't, I, sh I declared the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased in his own blood. That goes beyond just teaching. That's loving, coming alongside shepherding for this i know that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves therefore watch and remember for three years i didn't cease to warn everyone night and day with tears paul cared about the church 
He warned them. He taught them. Right? Acts 17, 11. This is a verse. If you're in Acts with me, you can turn there. If not, you can mark it in your mind, this verse. Um, it, it, years ago, when I first got saved, we'd go to lots of conferences, and Chuck Missler was always one of the speakers, if anyone knows Chuck Missler. This is a verse that he always shared, Acts 17, 11. It says this, these were more fair-minded, the, the, the Bereans that he's talking about, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and then they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether those things were so or true. Very important. It was great in Thessalonica. They were awesome. We loved them. But the Bereans, they were more fair-minded. They were more, the King James says, more noble because they received the word with readiness, like, yeah, I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. But you know what? I'm also going to check it out. I want to see if that's true. And that's, what you, that's the onus on you guys. Check this stuff out. You guys should, if I'm a heretic, or whoever stands behind this pulpit, run, right? Don't stick around. They, they searched the scriptures, right? And that's the responsibility. Listen, if you've ever, like playing sports, I like to play sports. I'm way past my prime, which I really didn't have one. Uh, but if, if you like to play sports, maybe you're that guy that likes to be on the line for a one-and-one. One, you know, you get fouled, you got to take It's a one-and-one, one, one to tie it, one to win, or whatever it is. You want to be in that position, Right? Or, you know, game-winning shot or, or you, know, the, the, you know, you need a strikeout to win in the, in the bottom of the 11th or whatever it is. You know, the get, that's what it feels like being up here, teaching the Bible. There's a high responsibility teaching the Bible. I sense it. I feel it. It's like, oh, man, I want to screw up, Lord. I want to tell them things that are going to help them, encourage them, challenge them that are right. And I don't just want to tell them, I want to live it. It's a massive amount of responsibility. So the word of Samuel came to all Israel. He didn't take it lightly. He didn't let the word fall to the ground. He shared all of it faithfully. The hardest thing. So he'll have to talk to... King Saul. And it says this in the same verse, verse 1, Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. So the Philistines are the perennial enemies of Israel, right? They, they hate Israel. And they're always constantly at war. As you read, we go through Samuel, you're going to see this battle persist right and it says that israel camped alongside ebenezer and the philistines camped alongside aphak well ebenezer wasn't a city or a town it was a stone it was a rock this being written after these events obviously took place probably the first half of samuel by samuel 
His point of reference isn't a town or a village or a city. It's a rock that gets set up 20 years later. Because we're going to see as we read this chapter, there's a great defeat of Israel here. Massive. Tons of loss here. But in 20 years, Israel, because what they're going to do, they're going to take the ark of God. They think this box is going to help them. They think this is going to be our answer. It's their, their, uh, uh, their good luck charm, their rabbit's foot or whatever it might be. They think this box is going to give us victory. And they grab it and they take it into battle after this loss. But in 20 years, same location, they pray to God, Lord, you help us. And it says, God rained thunder out of heaven against the Philistines. 20 years later, and Samuel took this rock, this Ebenezer stone, and he set it right there as a stone of remembrance, a rock of remembrance. Like, see what God did right here? They're going to lose today. As we read this today, they're going to lose. But God is so faithful to bring them right back to the same spot and give them a chance to win as they follow the Lord and they get right. That's all of us. God's the God of second chance. He'll take us right back full circle, right to the same spot and say, I want to give you victory. I want to give you victory. And that's what happens. And, and the writer, probably Samuel, says they were camped right by Ebenezer. I remember that spot. I remember putting that rock up. I don't know if you have a stone like that. Maybe it's your journal or you've written in your Bible of these victories and some defeats. Things God, maybe God's bringing you full circle. I want to change. Lord, I thought I was right here, but I was wrong. And you journal that. And you write it down. And they encamp there. And he takes note of it. Sometimes you have to remember, you know, as Jesus wrote those seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, the first letter he wrote was a church of Ephesus. You guys probably remember that. And they had so much commendation. These guys knew the Bible. They had discernment. They didn't like certain things that were going on in the church. They were worked like a well-oiled machine. They kept going, right? Lots of commendation for that church. But he said, I have one thing against you. What could it be? What have you got against me? He says, you've left your first love. What? What do you mean? How could our church be going so well and this could be happening? And, and, and then he says, remember from where you're falling and do those first works. He calls us to remember. That's what this stone means. The God of helper, God of remembrance, rock of remembrance. And sometimes we got to remember where we were or maybe where we're going so we can get back to the right things. He didn't say you lost your first love. He said you left it. You fell in love with something else. Fell in love. They, because the church was going so well, they fell in love maybe with the ministry or academia. 
or whatever. But they fell in love with something else. It wasn't Jesus. He said, you've got to remember and come back. You've got to remember. Because it looked good. That church looked great on the outside. It was probably the biggest church in town. Biggest church in the city. Biggest, right? They had so many things going on. He says, remember. Sometimes we have to remember. It says this in verse 2. And the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined the battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army of the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant. They, they, they want to bring the Ark of the Covenant, but they mi miss the God of the Ark. They want to bring a rabbit's foot or a, or a good luck charm. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. The first thing they do, they obviously know this is God's hand. They said, why has God defeated us this day? They didn't look at it like the Philistines did it. They looked at it like, God, this was you. We see that this was your hand. Because these guys had all the promises, the covenants, the blessing. That's why they wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant. God promised to bless them and to be with them. That was part of it. But they understood that God did this. And I think... You know, number one, people want to blame God all the time, right? Oh, God, 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 right? But for them, it was true. Why did God do this? And I think it's a good question for, for, for anyone, for all of us at times, to, to, to take an assessment and have a question. Why is this happening? Is this because I'm, I'm, uh, they're going to say all, Jesus warned the disciples, man, people are going to say all manner of evil against you falsely. Right? People are going to persecute you. Is that what this is? Or God, did I, am I way out of your will? Are you trying to get my attention? It's good to question. It's good to ask those questions and wait to hear the answer. It's good to ask. And, and that's what they're doing. They're asking. They're wondering, well, why did God do this? This is what Moses told the children of Israel. This is paraphrased. If you want to write it down, Deuteronomy 11, Deuteronomy 30, some of the promises. God lays before you. He says, I want to lay before you life and blessing and a curse and death. I, it's, it, and, and that's what the Bible does always. It's our choice. It's your freedom. Because if you don't love God and he forces you, it's not real love, is it? But he says, listen, I've got life or death, blessing or cursing. And then he says, choose life that you might live. Follow my commands. Walk in my ways. That's life or death. Follow other gods of the heathen and see where that gets you. Worship other things. See where that gets you. But I want to lay both alongside of you. You choose because I'm not going to force you. Whatever you love, that's what you should follow. And those were the blessings Israel had. And you know what? They chose death. They chose the curse. 
They chose to worship other gods, and that's why these guys were in such a dark time in their life. Even the priesthood was messed up. The priesthood was so messed up, and God is dealing with that right here. And so it says this in verse 5, And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted loudly. Verse 4, So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim, and the two sons, Eli, uh, two sons of Hophni, or Eli, I'm sorry, Hophni and Phinehas, they were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook, like they were pumped up, right? And like I said, they're just bringing in a box. This isn't devotion. This isn't a relationship with God. They're like, here's our symbol, Here's our symbol we're bringing in. And they bring in the ark, and, and, and they think that's going to fix us. Rather than dealing with their hearts, knowing that this victory and defeat was based on that, they thought a symbol's going to do it. And they never got right with God. They just brought the ark in. And they, and they shouted, Right? The earth shook, the, the, the Philistines heard it. And sometimes that's what we do. You know, instead of getting right with God, we just make some noise. We want people to pray for us. We, wanna, we show up at church a little more. We, we, we change our radio station a little bit more. We'll, you know, some different things. We make some noise, but there's been no heart change. There's been no willingness to walk in a different direction. We're just making noise. And it says, And the Philistines heard it and the noise of the shout, and they said, What does the sound of the great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, and the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for such thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods. And these guys are Philistines. They had multiple gods. They only could see God in, in, in that way. These are the gods who struck, they knew this, who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. They knew the history, Jericho, Ai. They knew all the triumphs of Israel. And they were afraid, just the way Jericho was afraid when Rahab told the spies, listen, this city, their heart is melting because of you guys. This city looks overwhelming from the outside, but inside, everyone is like so worried. What's going to happen? Right? So they're freaked out for a minute. Then they have a battle cry. Be strong, verse 9, and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as, as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So they have this battle cry, and it says, The Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. Every man fled to his tent, and there was a very great slaughter, And listen, there fell 30,000 foot soldiers. 30,000 men. Can you imagine? I just looked it up this morning. I don't know if it's accurate. You can look it up. But Wyoming County has 40,000 people in it. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Uh, We go to Gettysburg when we go to, sometimes we stop on the way back. We go to Myrtle Beach. Uh, We drive down there. 
usually in October, and we'll stop at Gettysburg on the way home just for a day. Uh, Josh likes to buy coins there, my son, and different, so there's different shops. But we stop at the battlefields, and I can't imagine the, the, the bodies and the carnage of the people that just were slaughtered there with swords and guns and bullets, and you know they're still finding stuff there. And that was about 50,000 people got killed in Gettysburg. 30,000 men get killed here of Israel. Can you imagine the, the impact at home if they were all married, if they had kids? It's not just 30,000. Look at the impact. Look at what happened. And that's what sin does. That's what rebellion, disobedience, it's going to impact so many far more than what you think. If I just do this, if I don't obey that, it's just me. It's not that bad. I'm not hurting anybody. Trust me, you're hurting more than just you. You're hurting more than just you. 30,000 men go down. It's how I feel when one person goes down, when something happens to a family or a marriage or a prodigal, how it affects so many people, how it affects the body. So there's this great slaughter, and it says also, verse 11, the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And then the men of Benjamin, a man of Benjamin, ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh where the clothes were torn and dirt on his head. And he came there, and when he came, Eli was there sitting on a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. And Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were so dim that he couldn't see. So there was a runner. Somebody would come from the battlefield and let people know how things are going. That's who this guy is. And when he, his clothes are torn and there's dirt on his face, that was like a tweet or an instant message to tell people before he even got there that this is bad, right? People see this guy running. What's, what's going on? How's he look? Is his hair done? And it, no, his clothes are torn. This is not good. How bad is it? Like it was a, like a little preliminary thing. But Eli, who's blind now, can't see. He just hears the people yelling, and, and, and he's asking them, you know, hey, what happened? What happened, my son? And the messenger answered and says, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. And then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off his seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For, he, for the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel for 40 years. Eli, probably a godly man, failed with partial disobedience, failed as a dad, failed to restrain his kids, did so much in the kingdom, probably a man of faith, but just failed in this one area. But it was an area that impacted so much and impacted the whole nation, failed with his kids. That's the area you don't want to fail, guys. You don't want to fail. 
The best father, you know, I, you, you read the story of the prodigal, you know, our heavenly father has prodigals. So just because you have a prodigal doesn't mean you failed. Doesn't mean you failed. But we want to do our part as mom and dad. Faithfully pouring in the word. We don't want them to see hypocrisy in our home. He dies. His kids die. It says this, now his daughter-in-law Phineas, uh, daughter-in-law Phineas's wife was with child due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth for her labor pains came upon her. So she's pregnant. She gives birth. She's thinking about all this stuff. Really, Eli's epitaph of his life is what? The ark is captured. Your, both your sons are dead. You know, that, that's what's happened. Israel is defeated. 30,000 men just got killed. That's the last thing that happens to this guy as priest. What a sad, that would be very sad to write on his tombstone right before his death. And it affects his daughter-in-law. She begins to have birth. She's going to die in childbearing. And it says about the time of her death, the, the, the woman who stood by her said to her, don't fear for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. And then she named the child Ichabod. Poor kid. <laughs> Saying the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured and because her father-in-law and her husband. And she said the glory has departed from Israel for, for the ark of God has been captured. Can you imagine that? This poor kid's got to carry that name, but she dies with no hope, with no hope in sight, right? It doesn't, happen to hap doesn't have to happen to you or me. There's hope for us. We still have breath in our lungs, right? Isaiah chapter 1 says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they can be white as snow, right? That's hope. That's hope. God's saying, come, let us talk. I want to talk about this with you. Let's talk. He doesn't want to just judge you. He's, hey, I want to tell you something. It's a good news. That's the gospel, is good news, that you deserve death, but guess what? You don't have to die. Jesus did. That's the gospel. That's the good news. John, John chapter 6 says, Him that cometh to me I shall in no wise cast out. I'm not going to shame you or send you away. I want to keep you. That's God's heart. That's Jesus' heart. He cares so much for you guys. You don't have to die without hope. This woman, unfortunately, leaves planet Earth with no hope. She, poor girl, names her son Ichabod. The glory, right? What was that? Sleepy Hollow, the movie? The Headless Horseman? You guys know. Ichabod Crane. No hope in this life. And we have, the Bible says, he's the God of all hope. He's the God of all comfort. He cares so much for you and for me, right? He's given us his word to map out our life. He knows we'll make mistakes. He wants to redirect us. That's why he wrote to the churches in Revelation. He who has an ear, let him hear. I want you back. 
I don't want to kick you to the curb. I'm not done with you. But you got to listen. You got to be willing to listen and come back. Right? God cares. So, Lord, we thank you so much uh, for your word, for the instructions in it, the warnings of it, God. We thank you that uh, we can have hope and comfort as we follow you, Lord. That as we come to you, it's not your desire to shame us or to discourage us, Lord, or even sometimes to, to, to bring up all of our past mistakes. You, the Bible says that you cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. You want to give us a new start, a fresh start. Your word tells us that your mercy is new every morning, that we can have fresh mercies tomorrow, today. Uh, we thank you for that, Lord. We love you. Uh, thank you for your word and your spirit, God, that empowers us to walk in your word. Uh, we need you. We love you. In your name.